Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 321, or 321, if you just like sequential numbers. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today, as always, is Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. Is it 321 unsequential? It's like backwards. Well, uh, sequential doesn't have to be counting up right i don't know <laughs> i i don't know either three two one contact that used to be a tv show or something like that it's what we say when we count down to start the beauty brains episodes oh that's right three two one go that's right well you know what we're covering on today's show we're covering questions about whether there's a specific way you should layer your skincare products mm. we'll answer a bunch of questions about silicones in hair care we're going to talk about whether it's okay to wash hair that's been colored and how long do you really have to wait between bleaching? But first, some of that uh, famous chit-chat. So you were out in the deserts of California today, huh? I was running all around, picking up some ingredients for my ingredient business. Uh, when I can, I like to personally uh, go arrange freight, especially if they're smaller items. But I'm excited that you are headed to warmer weather because it means we're going to get to see each other soon. That's right. Uh, the first place I'm going to stop, there's an active volcano going up. So fun, well, hopefully fun. nothing gets delayed there. And then I'll be out on the West Coast and uh, we'll hang out a little bit. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I don't think my uh, outdoor cats are looking forward to that since <laughs> they're not going to know where their food's coming from. Did you end up asking your neighbor if they could take care of little tucks and all the porch kitties? I actually did. I uh, saw my neighbor this today. I gave her a gigantic bag of food and said, could you please put a little extra out? Because she also feeds them anyway. So, Oh, cool. Always thinking of uh, the Kit Kats. Meow. And speaking of uh, Kit Kats and our audience, uh, we have and some And thinking uh, of other things, we're thinking right, of our patrons. We are thinking of patrons. If you guys listened very closely at the end of the last episode, we teased a little giveaway that we're going to do for our patrons. We're going to give full details uh, in an email blast to our patrons on Patreon. But uh, basically the gist of it is I had a very, very, very large gift bag uh, that was given to me at an event and it was very lovely, had lots of great products and fun things in it. And Mr. Cosmetic Chemist said, I'm not allowed to keep it because, <laughs> I, yeah, he said it has to go. So truth be told, oh, I did my. keep one, one lipstick out of it. Sure. But, uh, well, it's because I used it for an event. Course, it's a long story. So I was like, okay, we can't give that away. But uh, we'll give the full details out uh, to our patrons for the month of December. So if you want to uh, be part of that, uh, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe at any level, and you can be part of that giveaway. And now, Valerie, some beauty science news. So what did you see this week? This is the day we've all been waiting for. And when I oh. say we, me, you, all of our listeners, Sephora Clean Beauty gets sued. Yeah, no, no big surprise here. No, not at all. 
So basically, uh, this is a, a you know, non-criminal lawsuit. It's a civil litigation where a class action lawsuit is taking place. And pretty much in the United States, uh, that's how things have to get handled if you feel someone is being uh, deceptive. And that's exactly what consumers or a disgruntled shopper uh, has thought because Sephora is deceiving people by selling products containing synthetic ingredients under its Clean at Sephora banner, according to a report published by Top Class Actions. Yeah, the suit was filed in New York. Uh, they're looking to seek damages and fees and then also, I think, get Sephora to change their ways. I looked through the complaint on this one and it looked like the, the person uh-huh. was complaining that she didn't think she thought clean meant there's no synthetic ingredients, but obviously in lots of the products that are under clean beauty at Sephora, there are lots of synthetic ingredients. And it was funny to look through the lawsuit and see some of the things called out. Like they said Xanthan gum is a synthetic ingredient. I'm like, I don't think you know what synthetic is. Well, it can be produced by biotechnology, but I I wouldn't say that it's synthetic, right? The one problem I have with this lawsuit and why I think it should be thrown out, I, I know it's a big draw dropper, is because the clean list is really just a restriction of things that Sephora says, hey, we don't consider this to be clean. I don't think it's deceiving people. It's a list that's out for anyone to access. So I don't think they should be suing based on the deceit. I think they should be suing because they're, it's stupid. <laughs> not enough, <laughs> well, you know, they're mean, not deceiving anyone. Everything's in plain English, right? And they're very clear that it could be synthetic or natural or, you know, whatever they feel like. Absolutely. I mean, they they define clean as whatever they define it as, and there's no law. So now the question is, what do consumers think clean means? And does the fact that Sephora defines it one way and this consumer defines it a different way, uh, does that matter? I guess that's probably why the lawyer took up this case. It it seems like a pretty much a loser to me. I don't see how Sephora could <laughs> could uh, lose this one. Uh, maybe they're just looking to settle, but yeah, it's pretty clear what they mean by clean, and they don't mean synthetic-free. In fact, clean beauty was started because natural products uh, weren't as good as ones that have synthetics in it, and they wanted mm-hmm. products that worked, right? And so they're like, well, well, it's natural, but we have synthetics. So that's what, that's how they would define clean, I think. I could see if this lawsuit were a little bit more nitpicky about some of the ingredients on there. For example, Sephora will allow synthetic fragrances, but up to 1%. Uh, You know, what's the basis for that number? In fact, natural fragrances up to 1% can be just as harmful as synthetic fragrances. We've gone over that on the show. Uh, Also, you know, they don't allow resorcinol or PPD because they're sensitizers, but there's lots of other sensitizers uh, that are used in hair coloring. So why isn't Sephora including those, right? So if anything... I think the lawsuit should be based on some of those little nitpicky details of exclusion or inclusion uh, on the list versus deception. But, you know, there's no deception happening here. Well, is that really true, though? I mean, because (laughs) isn't just clean beauty deception anyway? Because, (laughs) yeah, all your products are clean. Like standard beauty products are clean. I mean, it's not like they're dangerous. There's nothing... Nothing about clean beauty, the products in the clean beauty list that are make their products safer than standard products. And that is sort of an implied deceit in my view. But I think, 
you know, if you look at what Sephora has written and how they follow clean at Sephora, I think it's pre- they're pretty consistent. So I don't, I don't see how this they lose this. I mean, I'm not feeling too sorry for them that this happened to them, but I don't think they'll yeah. lose. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, the plaintiff has to prove that they were they're seeking damages, right? So they have to prove uh, in what way they were damaged and harmed and. Uh, I would be interested to see how they approve that. You know, anyone can go sit in on a trial, by the way. My uh, best friend, he's an attorney and, you know, he's always telling me the courts are open. And in fact, he knows some regulars who just come and hang out at the courthouse. This is a courtroom I would love to be in. (laughs) Well, uh, you'll have to go to New York to go see it, I guess. Well, we'll see if that goes anywhere. Uh, You know, that's a way to make money in the cosmetic industry. Just sue companies. Yeah. And and sometimes that works, right? Yeah. What else did you see this week? I saw that the tiny country of Kuwait, remember how uh, we went to a war with them way back in the early 90s, I think? I think we were with Uh, them, not against them, right? We went to war with them against Iraq, right? Exactly. We we didn't go to war at them. We were presumably protecting them. But but what have you? I don't know. It's probably some government... uh, industrial army complex or something <laughs> something was some happening money yeah, yeah exactly. but that l- anyway. little geography a little geography well that company has banned the sale of cosmetics that contain butylphenol methylpropionol which also is known as liliol remember yeah, liliol we talked about that yeah we talked about that a little while ago and they say it's uh it's been issued a ministerial decision banning the import, sale, and purchase of all cosmetics that contain this ingredient. Now, this ingredient is found in some fragrances, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, well, not too much anymore. You can find it in other parts of the world outside of Europe or any other geographies that closely align with uh, European uh, rules and regulations regarding cosmetics. Uh, but some countries have, have gone to the additional step of restricting it. Uh, it is one of the now banned allergens uh, within the EU. Their, their problem was that the Liliol is classified as carcinogen by the European Chemical Agency. Uh, so, yeah, you don't want the stuff that's classified as carcinogen in your products. And so you can't have it in Kuwait. And I did see one other thing that uh-huh. caught my eye, but it's a story about um, vitamins in cosmetics. Now, the headline here, uh, which was published in Cosmetics Design Asia, the, the headline here was a little strange because it says, vitamin hit, increasing use of synthetics in cosmetics is linked to rising rates of allergic contact dermatitis. And I said, oh, wait, it was vitamins. So, But they were talking about using synthetic vitamins oh yeah interesting which is strange so they're saying synthetic vitamins versus natural are the issue exactly uh, because when you use synthetic ones you get the racemic mixture so uh just so you know out in the world of biochemistry there are different uh, isomers and antimers and some are you know, left-handed, some are right-handed, and and some that uh, are a certain way, like alpha tocopherol is, uh, you know, biochemically active, 
whereas the beta version or the gamma version is not. So you have to, it has to have a certain handedness. When you make a synthetic version, you don't get that handedness. You just get a, a mixture of all the different types. And so they are suggesting that there has been an increased use of, of synthetic vitamins in products, and that is causing an increased rate of allergic contact dermatitis, or at least that's the concern. Maybe it's the high quantity that people are using. I mean, people are using 10%, 25% niacinamide, which is vitamin B3, and you don't really need that much. You just need 2 to 4% to maintain activity. It's funny, this article comes out, yet on the contrary, November 1st, 2022, published in JAMA, uh, there's an article that says almost all natural skincare products contain contact allergens. So which one is it? Synthetic is the issue, natural is the issue. That's a good point. I, You know, I would be surprised if these synthetic ones were the problem because... Our bodies evolved to be adapted to the natural stuff, and part of that being adapted to is that these plants are trying to kill us, and they send us, you know, the most allergenic materials out there are stuff that plants have produced, like poison ivy, poison oak, yeah. those types of things. Uh, and we evolved to have reactions to that. We didn't evolve to have reactions to the synthetic versions, and so that would surprise me that synthetic ingredients cause more problems than natural versions. And I, I, yeah, there's probably a disagreement within the, the dermatology community, I would imagine. Yeah, I think so. So, and, and also I don't usually take my, uh, scientific evaluations from <laughs> this resource. They're very good with the marketing piece, but the uh, science piece, they yeah. are a lot more dicey with it. Oh, and the gosh. experts that they quote, I'm not, <laughs> not as confident in either. So, uh, it's interesting the fact that vitamins are being used a lot more in products and that exposure could be causing problems is certainly something to take into consideration. Yeah. And you, you definitely don't need 15, 20, 10% niacinamide. You do not. <laughs> All right. How about we move on to some listener questions? We have some good ones today. First one comes to us from Laura. She says, thank you so much for your helpful podcast and website. I've learned a lot from both of you and appreciate the time you dedicate to researching and sifting through so much information. I've taken your suggestion and have developed a skincare routine for myself. The problem is I am confused how to layer these products for optimal benefit. Could you share your recommendation uh, on the order in which to apply these products? And so... She has a morning routine, which includes a facial cleanser, and then she applies Vichy Mineral 89, then CeraVe Vitamin C Serum, then CeraVe Moisturizing Cream, then the Neutrogena Ultra Sheer Dry Touch Sunscreen, and then, of course, makeup when needed. You know, just reading this is exhausting for me. <laughs> People need to use this many products? I don't mind. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. <laughs> And then she says, every evening I wash with Vanna Cream Cleanser and then apply the Vichy Mineral 89 and then the CeraVe Moisturizing Cream. Is there anything you would add or remove? Uh, I'm uh, 56 years young and have sensitive eczema-prone skin. I value your thoughts and expertise, and thank you so much. All right, Valerie. So she's doing the first thing right. The cleanser is first. (laughs) 
Yeah, and cleansing morning and night uh, because when you wake up, you want to remove all the products that you put on the night before. And when you go to bed or come home from work or whatever, you want to remove the sunscreen and makeup that you had on throughout the day. So that's a Wait really a second. good you, step. You wash your face more than just what you do in the shower? Yeah, I do it at the sink and I get water everywhere. Wow. I... Uh, I I think sometimes I, I don't ever I don't think I ever specifically wash my face, but when I'm taking a shower, you know, my face gets wet or whatever. Huh. <laughs> oh, you and Mr. Cosmetic Chemist are the same. Oh, At boy. least he uses the stuff I put in the shower for him. Uh, but uh, Laura, I think you have a good routine so far. I mean, the order of products is fine. I mean, to me, I don't think there's any scientific studies out there on, on this. In fact, actually, I haven't found any. I've looked before, but you know, common sense tells you to put lighter things on first and things that seem to go into your skin on first before you put something that's just going to sit on top of your skin. So I'm curious, what is in this uh, Vichy Mineral 89? I'm not familiar with the product. Yeah, it's a serum, I think, just like a hydrating hyaluronic acid serum. And oh, of course, okay. so maybe 89 minerals or something like that. <laughs> of course, oh, 89 minerals. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if no, there's 89. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think there's 15. It, it, it's 15. It says 15 right. minerals, but uh, which is a lot. Um, I like the sound of 89 better. <laughs> the key ingredient there, though, that we're talking about is the hyaluronic acid. Essentially, it's a humectant that's going to also form a film. Yeah. So maybe you would want to put the vitamin C serum on first and then the, the film could. former? I think it's yeah. tomato, tomato. I mean, I think it depends yeah. on the molecular weight of hyaluronic acid they're using. Sure, they're sure. probably using a larger size so you can feel the impact. Uh, but yeah, you, you could switch those up, but definitely the serums first. And then the um, moisturizing cream, um, you know, if you feel like the sunscreen isn't moisturizing enough, you can use the moisturizer. Otherwise, just put your sunscreen on and leave it at that. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. Uh, and then um, because if you put these heavier occlusive items on first and then you try to put these serums on top, you know, just based on the different chemistries and the the fact that these moisturizers on, are sitting on top of your skin might not allow for as much skin contact. Yeah, it could inhibit the penetration. Possibly. Yeah, and at night you're keeping it super simple. Uh, if you feel like you are you have dry uh, skin, uh, which you know you're using a lot of hydrating and moisturizing things, maybe you do, or you have this uh, eczema prone skin, you know I would maybe consider you know doing another serum at night if you know you feel like the vitamin C isn't enough, or maybe it you know is enough. You know I'm not really sure you didn't go into that much detail, but I think you're you're okay. Uh, it doesn't look like you're using anything too heavy or too many acids, but you do want to make sure you're exfoliating your skin at some point during the week with something very, 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 very gentle. And I would also suggest before you go to bed to floss your teeth. So, <laughs> which floss and brush or blush? We've been, we've been here. We're not going to go there again. You floss first and then you brush. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Oh, boy. All right. Well, hopefully that helps. Uh, and I'm still uh, astounded by the number of products that people use. I don't think uh, it's that many. I actually was surprised yeah. there's that many in the morning versus at night. Because in the morning, I just wash my face. I put on yeah. a vitamin C and E serum. And then I put my sunscreen on. I keep that part really simple. And at night, that's when I load up because... Oh, sure. 
you know, vitamin C is important during the day, uh, especially with vitamin E, because there is some papers that show it's synergistic and helping with some of the free radicals caused by ultraviolet. But at nighttime, you know, Estee Lauder did a bunch of interesting research about the circadian rhythm that skin has, and your skin barrier is reduced at nighttime. So your skin's actually more permeable. So that may be the right time to get some more actives in. Uh, But yeah, I thought it would have been flipped, but for the most part, the routine looks good. Yeah, looks good. All right, next question comes to us from Julia. Uh, She had a lot of questions about hair silicones. I think she does, but I actually think it's Julia because she says, Hey guys, my name is Julia and I am a German fan of yours. So since you speak German, that's how you would (laughs) pronounce Julia. I would say, I would assume it's Julia, yeah. Oh yeah, because it isn't spelled like Julia. There isn't that extra. All right. (laughs) (laughs) This is neither here nor there. Let's go to her question. She says, first, a lot of hair products marketed towards people with dry hair claim to be moisturizing. Uh, are Are there actually ingredients that can penetrate the hair and moisturize it? Do they change something on the inside of your hair, or do they just sit on the outside of hair and make it feel soft like a regular conditioner? Yulia's on to something. It's definitely the latter scenario hair doesn't have this moisturization concept like skin does, which typically would be measured by the amount of water content within the skin. Hair has what we call like crystalline water content, which is natural water content within the hair. And then it has atmospheric water content where depending on the humidity in the air, when you walk inside or outside or from the bathroom, you know, after a steamy shower and leaving it, uh, water can move within and without Uh, outside of your hair. And that movement of water doesn't make hair feel moisturized in the way that skin does. It actually can make hair feel worse the higher the water content uh, of your hair, atmospheric water content. So really the only way we can improve the feel of hair is to attach conditioning agents to it or to lubricate it with oils or silicones. And this gives hair the perception that it's moisturized just like skin is, but it's done through a different mechanism. Yeah, and hair is like a sponge. It'll absorb a certain amount of water, and what then that makes it swell up, and that's not necessarily good for hair. That's when hair hair is more prone to being broken, and uh, that could be a problem. And so what you want to do is you want to coat the outer layer of that hair and sort of prevent that moisture from getting sucked up. Exactly. Yulia also has listened to some of our previous episodes about silicones and was very interested. As you know, there's a huge no silicone silicone movement, which I bought into it first too, but my hair hasn't really changed for the better. A lot of healthy hair beauty influencers stress how important it is to avoid them because they coat the hair, which gives it protection, but allegedly also blocks other moisturizing ingredients from reaching the inside of the hair, eventually drying it out. It's really hard to find good information about it. Most of it seems to be the same hearsay that's passed around on a multitude of blogs that don't really have a scientific background. So I'm very thankful for the opportunity to ask actual scientists about it. So I've learned that silicones are not all the same, but there are silicones that evaporate, silicones that are water-soluble and can be washed away, and silicones that are non-water-soluble. But all of them at least temporarily temporarily coat the hair, don't they? Is that something like I have to consider when using products that are supposed to work from the inside, like moisturizers or Olaplex? Do I have to use a clarifying shampoo each time before these treatments? 
Wow, a lot of questions. But uh, yes, it is true that silicones are going to coat the hair. That's what they're used for. And it's also true that there are versions of silicones that will coat and then evaporate. And those are the cyclomethicones or the cyclopentasiloxanes. Even low senostoke dimethicones or disiloxanes. But you wouldn't be able to tell that by looking at a label. Right. Now, when we talk about evaporate, it's not like alcohol where you put it on and it zips away. It's evaporates like it evaporates like at the speed of water. You know, so when you get your hair wet, eventually your hair will air dry. That's the same with these. You get the silicone on there and eventually the cyclomethicone will evaporate off. But it takes some time. Even the silicones that are water soluble, moving on to the next type of silicone, uh, isn't necessarily what you think it is. They're water soluble to go into a formula to make it easy for formulators. They're typically packed into what we call uh, silicone micro emulsions so that as a formulator, I could just pick it up with my pipette and pop it into my beaker without any uh, solubility repercussions. They still stick to hair in the same way. Um, and they still get washed off in the same way as non-water soluble silicone blends. Although there are some versions like the dimethicanols, which have OH groups on them, mm -hmm. uh, that are water soluble and they just do rinse down the drain because they are so soluble that they don't will not stick there. But well, I wouldn't call that they have increased solubility, but I wouldn't call them totally water soluble. Oh. That that is that is fair enough. I just know in personally in using that, let's say you put a dimethicanol into a shampoo, it's pretty much just gonna rinse right away. Yeah, and even some other silicones are unless they're functionalized to stick to the hair. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like your ammo dimethicones. Uh, so the question though is, do the silicones prevent other things from getting into the hair, or does it inhibit something like an olaplex? I would say no, because everything's competing for the hair, I would say relatively the same speeds. And also, you know, you mentioned that these uh, influencers stress that you should avoid silicones because it blocks other moisturizing ingredients from reaching the inside. I would see if that's true if you put a silicone or oil-based serum on the hair, because oils would have the same chemistry, right? They're anti-water. Right. So... It's not like things are like, oh, shoot, I can't get inside. Now my hair is going to be dry. It's, you know, it's just unlikely that these things are going to get in anyway because hair can't right. actually be moisturized. Yeah. You, you, you don't really want stuff to get into the hair like that unless you're coloring no. it and then you want the dyes to get in there. And as far as these bond builders go, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm skeptical that they're doing much in there, Yeah, uh, especially with a regular regular use product. Yeah. And generally, uh, a regular good old shampoo should be good enough to remove any silicones or plant oils that you've deposited on your hair. Perry mentioned water solubility. Uh, silicones won't stick to hair at all unless they're designed to stick to hair like amodimethicone. It's positively charged and will stick to negatively charged sites on the hair or the silicone has, or plant oil has been coacervated onto the hair with a gum. And uh, you know, you won't know that just by looking at the bottle, but it's a formulation technique that formulators can use to deposit silicones, but the silicone's actually stuck to, let's say, a gum, 
and the gum is what's stuck to your hair. Otherwise, it would just uh, rinse off. They they don't want to be uh, stuck to your hair otherwise. So a good shampoo uh, should be, whether it's sulfate-free or sulfated or clarifying, should be good enough to remove any uh, silicones or other conditioning agents from your hair. Because I don't think silicones are usually the challenge. I think it's other conditioning agents that you know feel gunky and build up. Is there... Actually, a buildup problem with non-water-soluble silicones that make the hair look worse over time. And if so, what chemical properties should a shampoo have to get rid of buildup of non-water-soluble silicones? Yeah, this so was a problem with the silicones when they first came out, like two-in-one shampoos, uh, that uh, you could get some potential buildup of the silicones or also the cationic polymer that was used, the polymer JR, uh, yeah. as it were. It's not as much of a problem now. Well, the problem is, I mean, it is a problem if you're only using conditioning, depositing things on your hair and you're not using anything to remove whatever you've deposited on your hair. I mean, that's really the challenge, right? Uh, The thing is you want silicones to stick to your hair for certain functions. So for example, color protection. If the amodimethicone doesn't build up on the hair and last over a few shampoos, uh, you're not going to get as much color protection as without it. And it really is a miracle ingredient for color protection. Another example would be some of these cationic gums that stick to hair or maybe silicones that have some sort of frizz protection. They have to bind to the hair fiber to afford that attribute to hair. And some of them do last more than one shampoo, which is great when you want it. And it's not great when you don't want it. So I would honestly say throw a non-conditioning shampoo uh, into your mix. I've heard uh, scientists say online that there's no such thing as a clarifying shampoo. I think those people lack context uh, because a clarifying shampoo, when you work in the industry in making shampoos, is a shampoo that affords no conditioning benefits. It doesn't do any depositing, and its sole job is just to clean your hair. Uh, But the problem is you have all these other shampoos that, you know, improve combability and make your hair feel really good. And those are the ones you want to avoid. So you really just want to look for a simple shampoo, honestly, like maybe a suave, maybe sure. a Garnier, or VO5. Fruity, a VO5, <laughs> something really that's just like water and sulfates. And that's going to get your hair really clean. And then put a conditioner on afterwards. And then put too, a conditioner because, on it. Yeah, yeah. And put it all, take it all off, and put it back on. Next question: Dimethicone is generally listed as a non-water soluble silicone, uh, though on some blogs it's listed as water soluble silicone. Uh, generally associated with buildup. Olaplex hair oil contains dimethicone, but the brand still claims that the entire product line is made with no silicones or good silicones that cause little to no buildup. Is dimethicone used in more high-end hair products uh, different than the ones used in cheap products with the same name? So there are different versions of dimethicone, but I don't think you could say uh, the cheap brands use the cheap dimethicone and the expensive brands use an expensive dimethicone. I it's think we're simple. all using the cheap dimethicones. Right. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we're all using well, the cheap dimethicones. <laughs> yeah. Because you're like, how much is that? Uh, no, I mean, dimethicone <laughs> is dimethicone. There's less than a handful of silicone producers in the world, and they're all producing silicones for everyone to use. So, But the difference I, on dimethicones is the molecular weight. So you can have heavier dimethicones and lighter ones. So 
from uh, you know when you're working with it that just means one is uh, really uh, has a low viscosity and another one can be as thick as molasses exactly and it's not like you know only expensive brands are using certain ones over the others we're all kind of using the same ones there's not a whole lot of variation between the exact same types of grades and you basically buy it from whoever is a qualified supplier based on whatever parameters or on price um you know we're all using the same stuff and i used to work at a salon professional brand that would say you know salon professional ingredients and it's like well you know really i was using the same ingredients perry was uh at (laughs) a mass market brand right so uh we all have access to the same stuff now there is a price point difference in formulas you know maybe these more high-end hair products can afford a little bit more per pound especially when it comes to shampoos, uh, which when you're in sulfate free can get very expensive very quickly. And when you want conditioning shampoos or even really great conditioners, they can get expensive very quickly. And there are some really expensive silicones that can be used, but it's not like the cheaper brands aren't, aren't using them. Right. So, right. And there is like the economies of scale, as we say. So when you're working on a mass market brand, you can buy an ingredient that for a small brand that could only buy a little bit of it, it would cost a lot of money. But the more of that ingredient that you'll buy, the lower the price the ingredient will. Now, it's exactly the same ingredient, but you get uh, bulk price discounts when you buy a lot of it. And so a lot of times the mass market companies can use more expensive products or more expensive ingredients that uh, smaller brands are not able to afford. Yeah. Now, can dimethicones build up on hair? Um, It's definitely not a water-soluble silicone, and the only way it's going to stick to hair is through sheer quantity and maybe a super heavy molecular weight that's hard to remove, or if you've uh, done a formulation technique to get it to stick to something else and that something else uh, stuck to hair. So in a way, they could say good silicones that cause no to little buildup because it's rinsing down the drain or... (laughs) Uh, unless they're, you know, employing this coacervation technique in formulation. I don't know. I'd probably wouldn't pay attention to that kind of noise. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't either. <laughs> you know, it always amazed me about Moroccan oil, how little Moroccan oil is actually in there, and it's just loaded with silicones. You know, I used to work, I used to work with this guy who said that trend started because some guy had a ton of argan oil sitting somewhere, needed to move it, and created the story of of Moroccan oil. Not the brand, but you sure. know, to get the people the to buy into it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Yulia wraps it up with, sorry, I know that was a lot, but I know there are a lot of people out there confused by the no silicone trend. So I would love to hear more from you about it. Thank you in advance. Liba Grusa, Yulia. Liba Grusa? Yeah, it just means like, uh, you know, greeting, like friendly greetings. Sure. You're, you're cracking out your German there. <laughs> yeah. Nicely done. <laughs> and the next question, Valerie is going to tell us about her coin collections. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, question three. Uh, Jane uh, says, uh, my name is Jane. Let me say, at first, I love your podcast and love that you answer questions from listeners. I've been dyeing my hair since uh, 17. Uh, that's when I first got my first gray. Wow, Aww. 17. Every hairstylist has told me 
to wash twice a week only and to avoid sulfates. I understand this might protect my hair color, but I've noticed my hair falls out a lot when I wash it. Since sulfate-free shampoo doesn't lather, my hair really isn't getting that clean. As much as I don't want to have grays, I would rather have healthy hair. And I've done some research and listened to dermatologists on YouTube. Uh Uh-oh. And they seem to think not washing your hair enough is causing breakage. Uh, Not to be graphic, but uh, after my shower, the hair trap is full of strands of hair. Uh, that, That happens, right? I have uh, fine hair that tends to get greasy easily, so I'm wondering what ingredients will help me improve the health of my hair uh, and keep it from falling out in the shower. I understand that shedding is normal, and I want to have clean, healthy hair. That'd be a plus if it preserved the color. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for that question. What do you think is going on here, Valerie? Yeah, well, first, I think her hair is probably breaking from from coloring. And, um, you you know, when you color hair and you refresh the ends, because you you color the roots, but then the middle and the ends of the hair fade, right? So you want to refresh it every once in a while to look good. And that can be really damaging for hair, especially if it's you're on a routine and you're going every four to six weeks. And especially if the hair color is totally MEA based, ammonia free, uh, that's really horrible from hair and people tend to get a ton of breakage uh, throughout the hair strands. So I would check with your stylist what color they're using on the middle uh, to ends of your hair or even at the root. Uh, as far as washing it twice a week only, that's really a tactic to get you to wash your hair less so that you lose less color. Dyes in hair color, for the most part, uh, a lot of them tend to be really water soluble. Some of them aren't. Right. And so those ones will wash out very easily. And then they're telling you to avoid sulfates because, you know, back when pyrology started, they created this whole sulfate-free anti-sulfate. It's, you know horrible for you, uh, horrible for your hair color, but, uh, water is horrible it's for hair more color. of a story, but, uh, yeah, yeah. but it, it's a story that has stuck. And so that's why the hair dresser is telling you that. Yeah. And I can tell you, I've done a lot of color fade testing against uh, a control where the control is a sulfate solution and you're not really protecting the hair from hair color removal. Yeah. Uh, too much comparatively. Right. So, you know, I personally, I wouldn't worry about what shampoo you use and I would use a shampoo that you feel makes your hair really clean, uh, wash it as much as you want to so that it doesn't feel as greasy. And then make sure you're taking care of the middle to ends. You especially could be losing a lot because you're only washing twice a week and getting in the shower and, and getting the hair, uh, really loosened. I notice that the more often I shower, the less I notice the hair drain right. getting full. And the less I shower, I'm like, wow, that was a lot of hair that came out this time. But I think if I added up all the hairs, it's probably like the same throughout the week. Reportedly, you lose a hundred hairs every day, right? You have a hundred thousand, so it's not that big a deal. So if you, if, but when you shower, that takes those hundred out and puts it down the drain. Now, if you shower, you know, twice a week, well, that the ones that would have come out if you showered every day aren't coming out, so they're just sticking in your hair. Now, some of them are going to fall out just sort of in, in your 
bathroom or on your on your bed probably or just walking outside but not everything's going to come out like when you shampoo and so that's probably why it seems like more are coming out when you shampoo less frequently uh, because you're just taking out the natural shedding ones just not as frequently yeah so yeah Again, just to recap, I would say, you know, wash your hair as frequently as you want to make sure you're conditioning only the middle uh, to the ends and lubricating them with a hair serum or a protective product. If you're putting heat on top of that, heat and hair color is horrible for hair health. And uh, so make sure you're using a thermal protectant or avoid uh, heating and use whatever shampoo you want. And I think, I think you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, use use a conditioner. <laughs> That's yeah. gonna help. And if the it most. gets really bad, consult a doctor. But I, I think for the most part, uh, you know what you're experiencing is from what we've talked about. All right, we have one more question. This comes to us from Katya. Katya says, "Hi, beauty brains. I'm wondering why hairdressers recommend waiting a couple of weeks between bleaching treatments so your hair could heal in between." I have learned from the beauty brains, of course, that hair is dead. It cannot heal. So is there really any benefit in giving your hair a resting period? If so, how long should you wait? Even though I have the patience to wait a bit until my next salon appointment, I'm super curious for the answer because the resting period doesn't seem to make sense to me after all I've learned about hair. Well, that's a pretty good question. In fact, hair is dead. Hair is dead. So <laughs> it's yeah, biologically it's d- dead, but right. chemically alive. It doesn't alive. heal, right? Right, right, right. Uh, but that the whole concept of healing the same way like your skin heals. No, hair does not do that. Um. Well, this is a really tricky question because I hear a lot of di- different recommendations. Some people say, uh, you know, only wait a week. Some people say, no, you need to wait up to a month. And I think the recommendations vary uh, based on the stylist and what their experience is, but basically um, how how the health of the hair is. Because when you uh, bleach your hair or lighten it with uh, bleach, you're creating a really alkaline environment and the hair is really, really swollen uh, from that experience. And it's really swollen because you want all these lightening agents, hydrogen peroxide and the persulfates to be able to penetrate into the hair fiber and lighten your existing melanin. Well, unfortunately, these aren't intelligent molecules, so they're also going to damage the keratin that's in the hair. And when the lightening process is over for that time period, it's usually up to 50 minutes, uh, you have to get those ingredients out of the hair so that they don't continue to cause damage. Now you may say, oh, you know, my hair didn't get as light as I wanted it to. At some point that reaction kind of peters off and that the the colorant has to get removed from the hair because it's not going to really lighten too much more. And the stylist will need to do another application uh, for your hair. You can do it right away, but the the problem is I think hair gets uh, really swollen in those states and the stylist gets concerned that, okay, if right away I put another application on the hair, I don't know how much more uh, melanin lightening we're going to get. I think it's just going to do more damage to the hair than lightening. And so yeah, the thought yeah. is wait for a couple weeks, allow the hair to come down from its swollen state, which takes, you know, a I don't know if it takes three weeks, but I think it takes a, you know, a couple days. Uh, I don't know how much scientific data there is on that, but I, I would imagine it's not instantaneous, even with a pH change. 
And I think the thought is let's wait until that hair is past its initial swelling before we put uh, lightener on it again. Well, I think also in those three weeks, you're also having conditioner treatments on your hair if you're using a daily conditioner. Exactly. So that's helping to repair some of the damage you, you've had. It's helping to uh, keep the fibers, uh, the cuticles layered down. And so that's kind of protect it from the more damage you do, uh, you know, three weeks from now. If you only had one week of conditioning treatments versus three weeks, I could see there could be a difference there. Exactly. So, yeah, I really would take the advice of your stylist at the end of the day. Hopefully uh, they have the interest of your hair health in mind. And that's really what it's about. Uh, So, yeah, while hair is biologically dead, it is chemically alive. And it's the chemically alive part that's uh, responsible for swelling and any uh, breakage. So, Well, I hear the music and, you know, chemically alive. Do you think shoelaces are chemically alive? (laughs) I do like that for a band name. What do you think? The Chemically Alive Shoelaces? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Hey, if you get a chance, can you go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review? That's going to help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Incidentally, if you have a question and you want to get it on the show, you can email it to us uh, at thebeautybrains at gmail.com. And if you'd like to hear your voice, you can record it on your notes app uh, application on your phone and then also email that to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. The Beauty Brains are also on Patreon. This is an ad-free show, and we would like to keep it that way. Uh, we love being unbiased and speaking about things we like and don't like because uh, we are unbiased. So in order to keep the show ad-free, please consider uh, supporting us on Patreon by becoming a patron at any giving level. We really appreciate the support. And this month, we're doing the giveaway, and you'll learn about that if you go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe at any level. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. And we have a Facebook page. And we're, we have a TikTok, but uh, we haven't done anything on Yeah, on you know, it. there's a lot of stuff going on with TikTok, so we're, we're slowing our there's, roll on There's a lot, yeah. yeah. We're, still, we're still not sure. We're not even sure about Twitter anymore, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens. <laughs>